The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Today's episode of Tables, Others and Chairs is brought to you by our sponsors, Faces Wrestling. Head over to faceswrestling.com for money off heavy metal wrestling merch. Use the code OTHERS, that's A-T-H-E-R-S, to get 20% off all Jimmy Havoc, B Priestley and Travis Banks merch. Once again, that's Faces Wrestling. Welcome to another episode of Tables, Others and Chairs here on the HTM Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Others, and I'm coming to you live from the mean streets of Blackpool, England. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be talking NXT TakeOver Toronto, our SummerSlam review, possibly with Jack Sexsmith. Not 100% sure if he'll be able to make it today. If not, don't worry, I've got a backup plan. Uh, but first, we're going to start off with some British wrestling news. Uh, first off, further proof that Britrest indeed is dead. Uh, another company announced that they will be closing their doors. Uh, Pro Wrestling Chaos, based in Bristol, the uh, southwest of England, uh, they've announced uh, via a statement, a video on their Facebook that uh, as of February next year, they will cease to be. Uh, They said that it's nothing to do with uh, the WWE, the contract situation with uh, NXT UK talent. Uh, James Drake is their current King of Chaos champion. Uh, It's just a case of the three owners' real-life commitments getting in the way. Uh, They've all got jobs, some of them have kids, uh, family commitments, and... Chaos is just becoming a a bit of a strain. Uh, When they started Chaos, uh, they did it for the passion. They did it for the love of wrestling. And uh, they feel that that's, you know, waning down a little bit. It's become a little bit more of a job, a bit of a task, than more of a passion project that it was to begin with. Uh, They've been going for six years. Uh, They want to go up or out on top. Uh, they feel that uh, the company's kind of reached its glass ceiling, that it, it it can't really get any better than it is now. And, yeah, they've got a few more shows before they'll be shutting their doors in February 2020. Uh, it's a big shame, uh, especially for that Southwest scene. Uh, they've got organisations such as Attack Pro Wrestling, and uh, Dragon Gate Pro down in that neck of the woods. Uh, Chaos also uh, an integral part of that scene, uh, as stated. Uh, James Drake, the current king of Chaos. Uh, Bino and Paul Robinson, the tag team champions, the Knights of Chaos. And Danny Luna, uh, the maiden of Chaos, the uh, female champion down there. Um, 
as I said, it's a shame we had a lot of uh, NXT UK guys uh, come up through there. People like Flash Morgan Webster, uh, Mark Andrews, Wild Boar, uh, regularly turning up at Pro Wrestling Chaos. Uh, they've been going for six years, uh, really are a, a really good, uh, family-friendly, but without being uh, corny, you know, boo-yay-type organisation with foam fingers that you associate with family shows. Uh, they're family-friendly, but without insulting your intelligence. Uh, I've not had the pleasure of going to one of their shows, but I've seen plenty of them. Uh, online, be it via YouTube or, or their uh, demand service. Uh, a sad loss for British wrestling and the uh, Southwest scene in general. Uh, if you get the opportunity, do go to their last few shows. Um, support your local indie because at the minute, it seems like they're all in need. Uh, more British news. Pete Dunn is going to make his first appearance in progress for getting on for nine months. His uh, last appearance was at their unboxing show on December 30th last year, where he took on a fellow British Strong Style member, Tyler Bate. Uh, ring announcer Jim Smallman announcing that it would be both last appearance in progress for a while. Uh, the Bruiserweight will be making his appearance at Alexandra Palace on September the 15th in their uh, Still Chasing uh, show. Uh, no opponent is yet for the Bruiserweight, but obviously his announcement sure to boost ticket sales. Uh, last piece of British news. Uh, the card for New Japan's Royal Quest at the Copper Box London on August the 31st has been announced. And boy, oh boy, it's a doozy. Uh, plenty of title matches, loads of huge names, and it goes as follows. Ren Narita... Shota Umino and Taguchi will be taking on Sho, Yo and Rocky Romero. Uh, Kota Ibushi and Juice Robinson will be taking on Tanahashi. And uh, pronunciation, I apologise if I get this wrong, Hukaleo. Uh, Osprey and Robbie Eagles will be taking on Ishimori and El Fantasmo. Uh, Los Ingo Bernables de Japon will be represented. Sonada and Naito taking on the team of Jay White and Chase Owens. The IWGP Tag Team Championship will be on the line. Gorillas of Destiny will be facing the winners of RevPro's Road to Royal Quest Tournament. Uh, the final taking place at RevPro's Summer Sizzler the night before, uh, which I will be in attendance. Uh, the tag team champions of RevPro, Shah uh, Samuels and Josh Bowden, taking on the team of Aussie Open, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher. Uh, more title defences, the Never Openweight Championship will be defended as uh, Tomohara Ishii will be taking on newest Bullet Club member, Kenta. Uh, the RevPro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship will also be defended as Zack Sabre Jr. will be taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi. That's sure to be a great match. And uh, the main event of Royal Quest will see uh, Kazuchika Okada defending his IWGP Heavyweight Championship against the murder granddad himself, Minoru Suzuki. Wow. 
absolutely fantastic headliner there. Uh, Eight-match card. Uh, New Japan bringing a lot of their heavy hitters, their big stars. Uh, title matches galore. It should be a huge crowd. Uh, 6,000 plus already sold at the Copper Box. And I believe that tickets are still available. So if you do live in the UK or you will be in the UK or London during that time, uh, you've still got a chance to come see this event. Um, but after that announcement, I'd uh, I'd act quick if you were thinking of getting tickets. Uh, that's about it for news this week. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our NXT TakeOver Toronto review. Keep it here, folks. What up, fam? This is LP live at your call. You are listening to Tables, Athers, and Chairs. Too sweet. Hello, this is the future Prime Minister of Great Britain, Zack Sabre Jr., and you are listening to Tables, Athers, and Chairs. So the WWE had a long weekend in uh, Toronto, Canada, at the uh, Scotiabank Arena, and uh, that kicked off with NXT TakeOver Toronto, a five-match card with a uh, bit of a brawl thrown in there too. Uh, I'm going to be honest, it's probably one of the weakest takeovers I've ever seen. Uh, Again, this is just my humble opinion. The bar has been set awfully high from uh, previous takeovers. Going to go through it match by match anyway. Uh, The opening match was the Street Profits, uh, champions Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford. Taking on the Undisputed Era, the team of Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fitch. Uh, This is for the NXT Tag Team Championship. And uh, for me, it was a very good opening match. I really enjoyed this uh, opening contest. I think this is the best that Angelo Dawkins has ever looked. Uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't on the Street Profits train at first. I didn't get the hype. And they're slowly winning me over. Um... Another good performance, as I said. Angelo Dawkins looked really good in this match. Uh, instead of just being the uh, other guy, the uh, Genetti of the team, if you will, uh, he got to spotlight himself a little bit. A bit of a showcase, uh, showing off his raw power, uh, throwing Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish about like they were nothing. Uh, as I said, I, I was a real big fan of this match. I thought it was a great opener. Got the crowd engaged. Really good stuff. Uh, Street Profits coming out victorious. Defending their titles. Uh, That's another failure for the Undisputed Era. Trying to regain those NXT Tag Team Championships. Uh, Rolling on to the next match. Another really, really good match. Uh, What a lot of people are calling their match of the night. Uh, Evil Io Shirai taking on Candice LeRae. And this was an absolute barb burner. Fantastic stuff. Uh, really digging the new heel persona from Io Shirai. Candice walking to the ring with purpose. Uh, you see a lot of times in WWE that people have a heated rivalry and the match starts and they just lock up. Not in this case. Candice just striding down to the ring, eyes locked on Io. And it. Uh, just darted for and took her down, and then and the fight started from there. Didn't really let up from there. There was some great action in this match. Uh, really good Spanish fly from the top rope. Uh, 
great to see the aggressive side of both ladies. Um, yeah, for me, they're very much contender for match of the night. Uh, Io Shirai winning via submission. Next up, uh, North American title triple threat match. Uh, Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dunne and Roderick Strong. Uh, for me, this is where the pay-per-view, or special as they're called now, uh, started to go downhill a little. And uh, that's nothing to do with the three guys. I'm a big fan of all three. Uh, I think Velveteen Dream's been absolutely fantastic. There's not many better than him. When it comes to character, uh, all of you know I'm a huge Pete Dunn fan. Got to represent the uh, UK guys. And uh, Roderick Strong, he's a great, great competitor too. I, I don't know what it was about this match that just didn't really connect with me. I think that the build for it was very sudden. I mean, I'm not a big fan of triple threat matches to begin with. Uh, I don't know if the bloom's coming off the rose a little with Velveteen Dream. Again, as far as character work goes, I don't think there's many better than him. Um, he's certainly over with the crowd. I don't know. There was just there was just something about this match that didn't really resonate or connect with me. Whether it be the build of the actual match, whether it be the dynamic between all three guys. Whether it's the crowd themselves, because obviously a, a lot of the crowd that night, they were fully behind uh, Undisputed Era. They had a lot of support in the opening match against the uh, Street Profits in the main event. We'll get to that later. But, uh, yep, there's certainly fans of Undisputed Era. I guess they're kind of the NWO cool heel faction for today's uh, wrestling fans. But, uh, yep. Uh, the finish came here where uh, Pete Dunne uh, ate uh, end of heartache from Roderick Strong. Velveteen Dream, who's powdering on the outside, came in with the elbow drop to the back of uh, Roddy Strong and uh, pinned Pete Dunne. I don't know, maybe that's the reason I'm, I'm not too high. Maybe I just wanted Pete Dunne to win so much that uh, I came away from the match a little deflated. Um, it, was a, it was a decent match, don't get me wrong. It's just I'm not a massive fan of, of triple threat matches. Uh, I believe that we had a little bit of a brawl at this stage. Uh, Matt Riddle came through the crowd, called out Killian Dane. Uh, Killian Dane also came out through the crowd, which was a little weird. I mean, both guys were apparently in the stands. Could have filmed something pretty cool where they bumped into each other at the merch stand or something and... Could have had it spilled out into the crowd, but no, nah, that wasn't to be. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was. It was, it was just a brawl. It was weird. I would have thought that these guys would have had a match. Maybe that's coming later on. Next set of tapings are soon. Don't believe that it happened in any of the dark matches. Uh, I've seen the results for them, and it wasn't on there. So, but yep, yeah, uh, they brawled. They had security try and stop them at the top of the ramp. Uh, Riddle and Dane decimating the security guards and the finish of this brawl came where uh, Killian Dane kind of like did an, an avalanche DVD driver through a table uh, off the edge of the stage with Riddle and uh, also took one of the poor security guards with him as well which was uh, yeah, interesting uh, side note, I've heard rumours that Matt Riddle was originally scheduled to face Adam Cole 
in the main event of this takeover. But uh, apparently, I don't again, I don't know how true this is. Uh, Matt Riddle being punished for uh, comments that he's making on social media about other wrestlers, uh, obviously alluding to uh, his ongoing feud with Goldberg, the comments that he's made towards Chris Jericho. I don't know if WWE are happy exactly mentioning somebody who is, one, an alumni there, and two, uh, one of the main guys on another show. Uh, Also comments uh, repeatedly towards Brock Lesnar, always saying how he wants a match with him, he wants going to turn up at SummerSlam and beat him up and things like that. I don't know whether it's a case of Matt Riddle just being Matt Riddle. Well, I do know it's a case of Matt Riddle being Matt Riddle. Uh, I've interviewed the guy before. What you see is what you get. There's no airs and graces about him. Uh, Matt Riddle is not a character. Matt Riddle is like how you see him on television 100% of the time. He is a very chill guy. He is indeed a bro. And I don't think he's going to play that corporate game in the WWE. I don't think he's the kind of guy to politic. I think he's the kind of guy that he'll just say what's on his mind regardless of what the consequences are. I don't know how true it is whether uh, he was scheduled to be in an NXT title match and got pulled for his comments about Goldberg or Chris Jericho or Brock Lesnar or a combination of all three. But, uh, yeah, it's a shame if Matt Riddle's mouth stifles his career in the WWE because for me there are very few pure athletes like Matt Riddle there are very few pure hybrid fighters like Matt Riddle I think you've got to remember that in the UFC he had a very good record I think it was something stupid like 4-0 before he got done for uh, smoking the weed Uh, something that uh, you wouldn't have thought from Matt Riddle hmm but yeah, uh, Matt Riddle, uh, interesting to see where they go with Killian Dane. I think we'll lead into a blow-off match at some point. Obviously, takeover's gone now. Seems weird to be building it at a takeover, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see where it goes. Penultimate match on this card was for the NXT Women's title. Shayna Baszler defended against Mia Yim. Uh, this match really confused me. Uh, the whole dynamic of the match seemed weird. In the build-up, you had Mia Yim taking out uh, Jessamyn Duke and the other one, whose name escapes me at the minute, uh, Shayna Baszler's hired goons. Um, yeah, it was weird because they didn't like attack Mia first. It was kind of like, you know, do unto others before they do to you type thing which is kind of heelish, and and throughout the actual match, it was Mia that was, like, bending all the rules and and being extra aggressive, and again, you you, you can love her or hate her, Shayna Baszler winning clean with the submission with the Cody Clutch. Um, I don't know what it was about this match, again, whether it was the heel-face dynamic, seemed a little bit out of whack, something that's becoming quite prevalent in, in NXT recently. Um, whether that's just the fans are real smarky and not reacting the way that they're supposed to, 
or whether that's the actual storytelling itself. I don't know. But, yeah, this match didn't really do it for me. Don't know where Shayna Baszler goes now. Uh, Candice LeRae? Do you have a match with somebody that just lost a match? Ia Sheree? Heel versus heel? I don't know. Is Shayna Baszler even heel anymore? Very murky waters in the uh, NXT female division. That takes us to our main event. Johnny Gargano defending his NXT title against Adam Cole in a two out of three falls match. I was really looking forward to this match. And I'm going to be honest, guys. I was kind of disappointed. My main issue of the match was just way too long. It was an hour long. Two out of three falls match. Whether that's more to do with me and my levels of concentration, I don't know. Putting it into perspective, this show had five matches and was like three hours long. SummerSlam, the main show, had about nine matches and was three hours and 20 minutes long. Granted, you did have a two out of three fall, so I suppose technically that's what, seven matches? But still, that match had didn't need to be anywhere near that length of time. You could have told the same story by shaving off at least 20 minutes. It It just felt... It's very rare that I agree with that stupid idiot Dave Meltzer, but this match felt very self-indulgent. It felt like it was trying to be too epic. And for me, it just felt a little bit flat. Uh, you've got the crowd. They didn't help. Uh, again, whether this falls to the responsibility of the wrestlers not telling a good enough story, or whether it's just the crowd being a bunch of smarky dicks, I don't know. But Johnny Gargano was getting booed. Adam Cole's getting cheered. I think they might have called an audible in that match where... Johnny Gargano got disqualified deliberately in the first fall so he could just get a bit of pain on Adam Cole and that went on for too long as well. If you're going to do that, surely you just hit him with the chair, pick him up, whack him again, one, two, three, get the cover, one all. But no, they decided to brawl around the building, around the arena. The second fall took far too long. And then, and you've got them lowering the cage for the third fall, which had all the weapons on it, which just looked like very TNA, full metal mayhem, lethal lockdown, whatever it was called. All the weapons, fire extinguishers, it looked like it looked like a knockoff between the Ambrose Asylum and Lethal Lockdown. It just it it was too hokey for me. Took an age to get the cage down into position. Both guys just lying on the floor for what seemed like five minutes. The actual cage match part of the match itself is fine. Started off well and hitting each other with kendo sticks. A fire extinguisher spot. Uh, the ending for me just 
felt a little bit weird on the, on the top of that ledge and they go through their tables and I don't know it just it was just far too self-indulgent for my liking I'm a big fan of both guys but for me it was just far too long there's lots of wrestling nowadays I mean this weekend you've had uh, NXT take over Toronto you had SummerSlam if you're a fan of New Japan, you've got the G1 to watch. Uh, believe GCW Game Changing Wrestling. They had an event. Lots and lots of wrestling this weekend. And the last thing you want is a main event that just overstays its welcome. Uh, despite all the moaning, I did actually enjoy NXT TakeOver. I'm not saying it was awful. There were some good matches. Even in the matches that I didn't enjoy so much, there were some good spots and things to take away from. It's just the bar's been set awfully high from takeovers. And for me, if I had to give it a, a star rating, which I absolutely loathe, I'd probably give it a three, three and a half. It was okay. There was some very good stuff at the beginning. And then towards the middle, it kind of tailed off a bit. So that takes us to the end of NXT Toronto. When we come back, we're going to do SummerSlam review with a guest. I don't know who yet, but there will be somebody here. Stay tuned. Hey guys, Big Joe from Turnbuckle Talk here, and you're listening to Tables, Athers and Chairs here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Okay, SummerSlam review. Uh, last week, you may remember, we had Jack Sexsmith on the show. Uh, we did a predictions game, um, and Jack won. Jack won by the score of 8-7. to seven. Uh, Fuck you, Ember Moon, and Randy Orton, for that matter. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the show, I will be doing the forfeit. I will be singing Jack's song of choice. Uh, which is the well-known song of Terry Folds from Rick and Morty. Yeah, uh, cheers for that, Jack. Uh, unfortunately, Jack is busy this week, despite retirement. He's still got his fingers in a few pies in the wrestling game. Uh, I think tonight he's got an interview with another podcast, and then I think he's doing some commentary somewhere. Uh, at some point, we will get Jack back for another show. Uh, but we have a last-minute replacement, a last-minute substitute, if you will. And uh, it's the boss man. It's Jargo. I feel like I just got buried, Joe. Like, not at I'm all, the replace, not at all. I'm the replacement guest. This guy's not nearly as over as the guy that I wanted to have on the show. But since he can't be here, I guess I'll just go get Jargo. Thanks a lot, buddy. We're, we're starting off on a great foot here. No, what it is, man, what it is. When you're doing a show, like, imagine in promoting, yeah? You lose a talent at the last minute. They get an injury. People have got tickets. They wanted to see this guy. What do you do? You get somebody who was better than the original dude. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, So I assume by the end of this podcast, I will officially be referred to as a British wrestling folklore hero. Yeah, that's just one way of looking at it. Yeah, definitely. 
Hey, you know, I've watched a couple of NXT UK shows. I feel like I'm certified. My stuff. Um, anyway, let's uh, dive in to this uh, SummerSlam that happened on, I think it was Sunday. There was so much wrestling this weekend. My brain hurts. Uh, I think we kicked off on the kickoff show with Drew Gulak defeating Oni Lorcan. What did you think of this one? Um, I didn't watch the pre-show, man. Uh, the, these shows are so long that I just I don't have time even to squeeze in another hour. Um, I so I haven't seen the match, um, but I will I will just go off of the booking. All right, Drew Gulak over the course of the last six months or so has just completely revigorated his career because when he first went to two hundred five live. I thought he was just doomed. Like he was going to be the uh, personality comedy spot guy who was taking himself way too seriously. And he has just completely reinvented himself being a dominant champion on 205 Live. There's no way that I would take the championship off of him right now to put it on a hobbit looking guy like Oni Lorcan. <laughs> yeah, I'd fully agree with that. Uh, I did watch the match. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, I like Lorcan. I think he's great. Um, I watched him when he was uh, under his indie name, Biff Busick. Uh, he's very physical. Uh, everything that he does looks like it's got purpose, looks like he means it. And like you say, Drew Gulak, he's been on fire for the last few months. It was a pretty solid opener. Um, Cole I Carrell. do like Lorcan with Birch. I will say that. I like them together as a tag team much more than I like either one of them as a single. I completely agree. Uh, I think they're a great tag team. I think they're being wasted on NXT, but hey, it, it looks like the, uh, the lack of care on tag teams uh, stretches down to NXT as well as the main roster. Yeah, I completely agree. Really, all throughout the world of professional wrestling, like we, we, we just saw the card announced for Royal Quest happening there in London, right? Yeah. And they're not even advertising who is going to be facing off with the gorillas of destiny. It's going to be a big surprise. And as I think about it and I'm like, okay, who, who could that possibly be? There's like two teams that come to mind and that's it. Well, as that one goes, I was covering that earlier in the show. Rev pro are currently in the middle of a tournament, a tag team tournament to declare the winner the final is happening at RevPro's Summer Sizzler at York Hall, an event that I'll be going to. And uh, it's the RevPro Tag Team Champions, the team of Charles Samuels and Josh Bowden. And they are going to be taking on the uh, very talented tag team of Aussie Open. So the winners of that, they'll get uh, Gorillas of Destiny. And uh, my money is firmly on Aussie Open. Aussie Open was one of the two teams that immediately came to mind for me. The other one being the Briscoes, because we just saw a square off between G.O.D. and the Briscoes inside of Ring of Honor, that the Briscoes won that series two matches to one. It wouldn't surprise me to see a return in Japan where the G.O.D. goes over two to one in a series before the Briscoes come back to the States. Yep, there's there's very much a possibility of that happening. Uh, the next matchup in the pre-show was kind of weird, and it was nothing to do with the two guys. This match was purely used as a, a, a story point of view to, to progress a story. It was Buddy Murphy and Apollo Crews, literally about two or three minutes into the match, Rowan came down 
and attack Buddy Murphy, obviously trying to forward the story there with the who attack Roman Reigns. Cry in shame, too, because I would love to see those two talents square off and get like 12, 13 minutes. I think they could put on a fantastic match that would get both of them over, which is why it doesn't happen on WWE TV. Yeah, again, not much to say about it. Uh, another match that wasn't really much to say about was the... Uh, well, well let, let me ask you, let me ask you, since we don't have another really Roman Reigns thing on this show, uh-huh, do you think it. it was... Do you think it was Brian and Rowan, or is that too incredibly obvious? I think it is too incredibly obvious, and if I'm being honest, I'm not even sure that WWE know who's done it. Sad but true. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that they're, they're doing the usual Vince McMahon tearing up scripts. No, nah, I don't want to go with this one. Let's go with this one, and everything's going to get muddied. Everything's going to get confused, and it'd probably be a very ultimately disappointing conclusion. Well, all I can hope for is that the attempted murder of Roman Reigns continues for another six months or so on every show. And then it's finally revealed that it was Lars Sullivan all along when he comes back from injury. I completely forgot about Lars Sullivan. That's why it would be brilliant. There you go. Uh, Blissing Cross versus the Iconics. I'm going to skip over this. There's nothing really to say. Champions retained. That was it, basically. Really, the only thing for me is I think this is firmly cementing the babyface turn for Alexa Bliss. I mean, I I don't think anybody can wear Buzz Lightyear-themed gear to a ring and not get over as a babyface. Nope. 100%. It looks like, for now, she is indeed a face. Whether they'll eventually go down the line and have a turn on Nikki... Or maybe do it the other way around. Maybe have Nikki turn on Alexa. Who knows? I want to see Alexa Bliss as a baby face. I mean, it's so hard to boo Alexa Bliss to begin with. She's just so damn good at it. But I'm I'm very anxious to see her turn around her wit and throw it in the faces of heels rather than in the face of the fans and baby faces. Absolutely. Um, while she might not be the greatest of in-ring talent, I don't think there's any denying that she's absolutely superb on the mic. Yeah, she's one of the best in the company, hands down. Uh, The opening match to SummerSlam proper was Becky Lynch defending the Raw's women's title against Natalia. And uh, my main takeaway from this was the Canadian crowd did not give two shits about Natalia. Why should they? I mean... Just because she's Canadian, I'm sorry. It takes more than that in 2019 than, 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 you know, the hometown hero, especially if the hometown hero sucks. Natalia has been so defined down on the main roster. It's a damn shame that it took Becky Lynch 13 minutes to beat her. At least it was a submission match, so it makes sense. But really, I feel like now, looking at this match in hindsight, this was really all to set up the angle that happened Monday on Raw with Sasha Banks. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um Again, that crowd really was pretty savage on Monday. She's there in the ring with her arm in a sling, crying about a dad that died like more or less a year to the day. Sasha Bank comes out, you'd think, oh, they're gonna they're gonna boo her because she's interrupted this heartfelt moment. No, we're just gonna massively cheer for Sasha. And then Sasha turns on her, beats her up. Thank you, Sasha. Absolute savagery. Well, I. I... 
WWE put Natty in a no-win position over the course of these two days in Toronto. I mean, like, she has to just be devastated by this. Even if she agreed to it, even if she told the company, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. Oh, yeah, you bet. I'll go out there and talk about my dad on the one-year anniversary of his death and then get my ass whipped in my home country. You bet. Sure. No problem. You know. I mean, seeing her personality on shows like Total Divas, she has to be just completely devastated by this oh yeah absolutely i mean i'm not a huge natalia fan but even i think that that crowd went a little bit too far yeah yeah well i mean toronto is a bunch of terrible people um and and we we found that out during the nba finals when they cheered kevin durant having a potentially career-ending injury on their court scumbag behavior yeah just just awful just awful uh, next up, they decided to put the main event of SummerSlam up on the second spot. Everybody's favorite, yours and mine, Goldberg, taking on Dolph Ziggler. And were you not sports entertained? Uh, it, I'm absolutely sports entertained by this. In, in fact, uh, we, we have breaking news here on tables, athers, and chairs. Uh, Dolph Ziggler was just spared again. Good Lord. And another. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's still calling Goldberg out. And evidently, this is going to be the new Dolph Ziggler character. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's not going to do anything for him, but, you know, at least I'm entertained watching Ziggler get, like, just absolutely mindlessly murdered. I, it does take a little bit away for me, though, that Miz did the same thing to Ziggler last night. Like, I get that we're, what we're doing with Ziggler, but in doing it with Miz, doesn't it kind of downplay the fact that Goldberg did it too yeah I get entirely where you're coming from I mean to be honest I would have been happy if Raw was just three hours of Goldberg spearing Dolph Ziggler I I would have absolutely completely condoned that just put that as a special on the network I will pay $9.99 a month just to have that at my beck and call whenever I wish absolutely fantastic stuff uh, do you think we'll see Goldberg again, or do you think that's it for now? Is a uh, redemption for the uh, Saudi Arabia debacle? I wish it was the latter, but I assume that it's the former. Um, I, I assume that we're going to get Goldberg for a series of matches. Evidently, the Saudi prince is very, very high on Goldberg, which is surprising because Goldberg is a Jew. But hmm. Uh, I think the Saudi Arabia money is really what this entire thing is about. The other thing I think this is about is going to be Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is going out and he's putting down legends, right? That's kind of been his MO as of late, whether it's Kurt Angle, whether it's Mick Foley. I think the two logical next matches would be Bray Wyatt doing this to Goldberg until eventually leading to The Fiend versus The Undertaker. Wow, that'd be pretty sick. Dropping knowledge on tables, athers, and chairs. I came prepared. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, Next up, AJ Styles defended the United States Championship against Nightwing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely Nightwing. Okay, well, I'm not that big an MCU geek, but... uh. Thank you again for uh, bestowing your knowledge onto me. Uh, what did we think of this match? For me, I thought they kind of held back a little. It was like they were told, 
do a bit, but not too much. I feel like we just have to resign ourselves to the fact this is AJ Styles in 2019. I, this is not AJ Styles in 2015. And AJ has gotten older. He's working smarter, not harder. And I think they're trying to get Ricochet to tone it down and really figure out what is going to be the Ricochet WWE style match. I'm with you. I was underwhelmed by this match because I was like in my head, I've been watching the G1 climax and I'm imagining Ricochet versus AJ Styles in a 30 minute time limit match in Corican Hall. And that's not what we're going to get. I, I think this is Ricochet and AJ Styles in 2019 on WWE main roster television going out and doing this match five nights a week. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's not the first time they've tussled either. Uh, kind of worn out on this program. Yeah. I mean, on paper, before they actually like had their first match, you're thinking Styles, Ricochet... That'd be a great match. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they've had bad matches, but it just seems that they've only really scratched the surface of what both are capable of. But like you say, maybe it's a case of like AJ trying to work a bit smarter. Maybe it's a case of the WWE telling Ricochet, you know, tone it down a little. We don't want you getting injured. Yeah, I, we, we know he actually spoke with Chris Jericho and asked Jericho if it would be okay if he used the code breaker as a finish because doing that 630 every night is getting kind of rough on his hips. So you're, you're going to be seeing the code breaker a lot more out of Ricochet and then the 630 kind of, you know, here and there, kind of like AJ Styles when he does that springboard 450. It's cool when you see it because you don't see it all the time. Oh, yeah, totally. I think things like that are much more special. When they're done, you know, here and there for, for the big stage, for the big occasion. Ricochet, my early pick to win King of the Ring. Uh, that's a good shout. Uh, I'm going for the one and only logical choice. Uh, I think King Corbin has a great sound to it. Oh, that is awful. <laughs> You're a terrible person for even putting that kind of juju out into the universe. Let's be honest. You all know that they're going to do it. You know, I, I, I felt that way with Switchblade Jay White watching the G1. Like, when he started winning matches, and it was just like, oh, my God, he's going to win this fucking tournament. Oh, my God, he's going to win the tournament. And then when he finally got beat in the finals, I was just like, God damn it, this guy just worked me for the last five freaking weeks. <laughs> totally worth it. Bailey defending her SmackDown Women's Championship successfully against Ember Moon. In what can only be described as a match. Yeah, I mean, it's... Why do we care about Ember Moon? Can somebody please tell me who Ember Moon is, other than the fact that she's African-American, wears contacts, and plays the Nintendo Switch? Like, is that her character? Because I don't care if that character wins or loses a match. She's got a pretty good finish. Oh, the eclipse is gorgeous, man. But again, like we're, we're talking about Ricochet in the 630, right? Could you mm. imagine taking that bump five nights a week if you're Ember Moon? Like, yeah. At a certain point, your hips would be up in your throat. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to be great on my body. Um, 
there's literally nothing to say about this match. The crowd didn't really care about this match. There was very little, little reaction when Eva came out. The, the crowd were pretty quiet during the actual match. In fact, the only reactions that happened were after the match, and that was when Kevin Owens came out. So what do you, what's next for either one of these talents? Who, who's going to be next to challenge for the SmackDown women's title? Please don't say Charlotte. Nope, I'm not going to say Charlotte. Uh, I've been on Twitter recently, and there was a tweet from Candice LeRae saying that she'd love to wrestle her. And uh, Bailey responded by, let's do it. So, Oh, I'm, please, I'm, God, get, don't, don't tease me like this show. Candice LeRae is my favorite wrestler. I'm sure that uh, WWE matches aren't booked off what talents tweet each other. Uh, but, yeah, it's a match I'd certainly like to see. And uh, by the looks of the, the curtain call at the end of uh, TakeOver Toronto, it looks like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gagano could be on their way to the main roster. I would fully support that. Candice LeRae, you can plug in on either the Raw or SmackDown roster tonight, and she is the most credible person on the roster immediately, even though I think since she signed with WWE, she has been the most misused talent inside of the company. I'm not take something. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the roster and some of the talent that they're wasting... I think Candice LeRae is number one on that list, hands down. The other, if you want to talk NXT, the other one that I think you have to kind of throw into that mix is Bianca Belair. Yeah, it's gone very quiet on her since her um, title loss to Shayna Baszler. Um, Kevin Owens defeated Shane McMahon, and I know that in a normal universe, you'd be absolutely delighted with this. But I've been hearing what you've been saying on HDM Wrestling. And I can only imagine how disappointed that your story isn't going to play out now. Just devastated, man. I'm just absolutely devastated. This was perfectly set up for the Midnight Rider gimmick. And instead, they just had Kevin Owens beat Shane McMahon. And I just, why? It, it's just, it, it feels so anticlimactic. Like, now what? Yeah, it was a strange one. Once he started going to town on uh, Elias... I was expecting the stunner to get hit, the referee to go for the count, and then Elias get up and ring the bell and say, no, he's disqualified, he touched me. Oh, I, I'd firmly support that. Absolutely. And, th and then Kevin Owens gets disqualified. You do the entire Midnight Rider gimmick. For, for those that don't know, that would be Kevin Owens coming back underneath of a mask um, and, and just tormenting Shane McMahon for the next six months to a year while, while Shane's trying to prove that that's Kevin Owens when it's clearly Kevin Owens. It's absolutely gold. I've, I've seen the gimmick done several times. I've even saw it done once with Kevin Owens' mentor, Steve Carino in Ring of Honor when he was a freaking announcer and it was an absolutely fantastic gimmick. Could you imagine Kevin Owens coming back as El Generico. You know how freaking funny that would be? <laughs> Outstanding. I think the last time I remember it done was uh, Hulk Hogan as Mr. America. Yep. yep. Even that was came a great out, one. Even came out to the old Hulk Hogan real American theme tune. <laughs> Started every sentence, let me tell you something, dude. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just it's a great gimmick and it fills so much television time. And Shane would be perfect playing opposite of Kevin Owens, just the the out of his mind authority figure trying to prove 
that this is Kevin Owens and being unable to do it, you could build that all the way to WrestleMania and it would have been fantastic. And Owens has got that deadpan quality where he could just play it so straightly as well. Oh, it just would have been, oh, I'm so disappointed. And now I just, I don't see where it goes. And it with either one. Who knows, man? Who knows? Um, Charlotte Flair defeated Trish Stratus via submission in a very, very long singles match. Yeah, this match went 17 minutes. Um, and I think it speaks volumes that the SmackDown women's title went on before this and went 10 minutes. The Raw women's title went on before this and went 13 minutes. So this by far the longest match of the women's matches. And I feel like it could have been the shortest. If this match would have went eight minutes, you could have told exactly the same story with almost exactly the same amount of moves. There was just that much downtime during this match. I didn't enjoy it at all. I think it makes Charlotte look bad that it took her 17 minutes to beat somebody whose last singles match was the year before Charlotte started wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get the story that they were going for, you know. Kind of don't disrespect the legend. Plenty of life in the old dog type gimmick, but for me, I just it kind of fell kind of flat. Although I did think that, considering like you say, it was the first time Trish had been in the ring for a long time. I didn't think she looked awful. She looked as good as she ever did. I, I was making this case on HTM last week that if Trish Stratus was in her prime right now on this women's roster. She would be Naomi at best. Yeah, that's probably about fair. I think you got to remember, though, that back in that Attitude Era, that it, it was a very uh, much lower bar as far as the female competitors go. That's not to take anything away from Trish Stratus. I, I pretty much enjoyed her matches when, you know, back in the day. I think uh, that match with Mickey James at WrestleMania was a great match. Well, again, it's grading on a curve just because of the era and the talent that you had. But I think WWE seems to think that Trish Stratus was a much bigger deal than what she really was. Like to me, Trish Stratus's most or largest contribution to the attitude era was being the eye candy for Vince McMahon, both on camera and behind the camera. Yeah, there was some uh, very unsavory things that went on back then with uh, her and Vince that kind of made me want to bleach my eyes. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was kind of the era. But I, I think WWE seriously overstates Trish Stratus, her accomplishments, and her place in history, which is what WWE does. They, they write revisionist history all the time. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Uh, next up. Uh, the WWE Championship match between Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton, which ended in a double countout. What was your thought on this absolute bullshit? Well, I, and the absolute bullshit is absolutely what Canada thought about this thing. Um, it, they booed Kofi Kingston. You know, and, and I know they weren't actually booing Kofi Kingston. They were booing the WWE for the shitty booking of Kofi Kingston in the second biggest show of the year. 
it's it's unfortunate, man, because and we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. When when you're laying out these stories, there clearly has to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is just a chapter in the story. This this was not one of the big climax points of the story. It's just unfortunate that it happened at SummerSlam in front of these people that paid ridiculous amounts of money to go to the show and you get absolutely no payoff for the most anticipated mashup on the show. I actually thought this should have been the main event until I saw the finish. Yep. I totally agree. Uh, for me, it's the match that had the best story. Uh, it's obviously a callback to when Kofi got that initial push and he had that singles match with Orton. Uh, he got that win over Orton and then the kind of blur in the, the reality with the, the kayfabe story of, Randy stopping his push, and you had all the ingredients for a great match. And not to say that the match wasn't bad or anything, but the finish just left such a bitter taste in the mouth. So now we're going to get the rematch at Night of Champions. My question for you it seems whoever wins that match would be the champion going into SmackDown on Fox. Who you got? Uh, Randy Orton, which is exactly why I picked him in the Pickens for this match. Not that probably anybody got that one right. But uh, for me, there was just... If you're going to have a finish where you want to protect both guys, do a DQ. Have Randy go over to his family, throw a drink on his wife, knock popcorn out of his kid's hand, and have Kofi snap. Have him just beat him with a chair, a kendo stick or something, and cause the DQ. Or the other thing you could do is just have Randy Orton go over and offer to shake hands with the entire family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, don't really see that one happening somehow. Uh, but yeah, they're going to probably do it again at Night of Champions. And like you say, with the uh, SmackDown going over to Fox, I can't see past Randy Orton getting the hands. Would it be his 14th? Yeah, the the only thing that's interesting about that is that would tie him with hunter you think hunter likes that well how old how old paul now um i think he's like 52 yeah something like that oh he's clearly got one more running in then oh at least at least yeah uh Next up, a match that was probably the most highly anticipated match of the lot. Bray Wyatt as The Fiend against Finn Balor. And uh, everybody online talking about The Fiend's entrance. What did you think? The entrance was cool. Um, And I mean, the match was booked the right way. You know, as far as I'm concerned, unfortunately, it was Finn Balor on the other side of the ring. And that I have a little bit of issue with. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, who would you have put the fiend in the ring with? Um, boy, uh, there's any numerous number of throwaway baby faces that you could have had for bray wyatt's first match i just i don't think i would have went to the one with a deep dark brooding demon and then ask him to act freaked out when you saw bray wyatt in a mask like i i I thought everything was done correctly 
I just, I don't think Finn Balor was the right talent to be selling. Oh my God, I'm scared shitless of this guy when you have the demon. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I think it's clearly going to be the demon and Bray tying up if Finn does stick around, of course. What, what, what's your opinion on that? I mean, obviously I'm sure you've been watching Fergal Devitt much longer than I have been. Uh, what, what, what's the feeling over there? Where, where do you want to see Finn Balor, Prince Devitt? Do you want to see him in WWE, AEW, go back to new Japan? What, what's the feeling there? Uh, I can't speak for everybody else, but, um, I don't know. I think a lot of people would like to see him back in new Japan, especially now with the whole, uh, Kenta joining the bullet club. Cause obviously when both those guys were in NXT, they were pretty tight. So that'd be something quite interesting. Another layer to the conspiracy theory there. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, obviously, Finn Balor's got to do what's best for Finn Balor. If Finn wants to stay in the WWE, that's his business. I'm sure that they could probably pay more money than either of those companies. If it's job satisfaction that he's after, if he's not happy in the WWE, then... Obviously, he's got to search for other avenues. Yeah, because, I mean, he's been there for, what, five years now? Something like that, yeah. So uh, you would like to think that he's frugal enough that he's got some money at this point that he can fall back on, even if it is to go to a, a company like New Japan, though, which may not necessarily pay as much, but if you have that nest egg and you get to do what you love with the people that you love to do it with, I could absolutely see that as an option. The only one I really don't want to see for one reason or another is AEW, which is strange because Finn's one of my favorite pro wrestling talents on the face of the planet. I've been accused of being an AEW shill, even though I don't see it that way, but I have no desire to see Prince Devitt in AEW. I feel like he's just going to be kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah, well, there's always that unknown quantity. I mean, we don't know what AEW is going to be like. And judging off the last few shows, I'm not sure AEW know what AEW is going to be like. So, like you say, I'd, I'd either stick with the money, stay in WWE for another year or two, or if you're not happy with the direction that your characters go in, if you're not happy with the creative control, then why not head over to New Japan for another run? It's it's totally his goal. Yeah, because this will probably be his last contract. I mean, Finn's what, 37, 38 now? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So so this is the, probably the last big money contract that he's going to get. It's just a matter of where is he going to get it. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to New Japan, but at the same time, I wouldn't be overly shocked if he stayed with the WWE either. I expect WWE, but I hope New Japan. And that takes us on to our last match, the main event. Seth Rollins defeats Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. I'm going to be totally honest. In my pickums, I got this dead wrong. I would have went with Lesnar as well, man. I, that's just the story that they've been telling. Seth doesn't seem nearly as hot now as he was going into WrestleMania. 
I'm still not even sure that this is necessarily the right decision, even though I think this was a really good match. Oh, it totally over-delivered for me. I wasn't expecting much. <clears throat> Probably my favorite spot of the match was where Brock Lesnar just picked Seth Rollins up by his uh, tape that was holding his ribs together and just swung him around like a child and yeeted him halfway across the ring. I'm pretty sure that uh, that was actually training um, for the midget toss event that's coming up. <laughs> well, where's that taking place at full sale? Uh, th- that seems legit. I, and of course, they'll put it over. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Seth Rollins, he's the new Universal Champion. Um, I really didn't see that one coming. I don't understand why people are surprised that this was a good match. I mean, w- when you look back at this run of Brock Lesnar, who are his good matches against? They're against AJ Styles, and they're against Finn Balor, they're against Daniel Bryan, they're against little guys that create a lot of movement and sell their ass off for Brock Lesnar. I don't understand why anybody is surprised that Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar was a very good match, just in line with all of those. Although when I think of all those matches, the one match I don't think I would have had Brock Lesnar losing would have been the matchup to Seth Rollins. Yeah. And I just base that purely off the reactions that he's been getting both from the live audience and the Twitter crowd as well. Cause uh dude's not been doing really well at Twitter recently. No, the, the Osprey story certainly did not help him. No, not at all. And, uh, when you lose a uh, Twitter argument or debate with uh, Will Ospreay, who's quite famous himself for footy mouth uh, Twitter incidents, you know you done fucked up. And WWE has done him no favors inside of the booking since he won the Universal Championship. And really, even when he won the Universal Championship, he won the Universal Championship by punching Brock Lesnar in the dick. All right. If I punch Brock Lesnar in the dick, I like my chances a whole lot more than I did before I did going into the damn thing. Seth Rollins should beat Brock Lesnar if he punches him in the dick. At least now, Seth Rollins has that defense definitive win that he earned over Brock Lesnar. And hopefully they don't throw him into a three month program with Baron Corbin coming out of it. And maybe just maybe we can get Seth to burn it down one more time. Well, you can never uh, discount King Corbin, uh, raising his head again, but, uh, who would you put Seth in a feud with now then? And what's next for Brock Lesnar? Do you see him going over to SmackDown? Do you see him taking on Kofi? Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of the popular choice right now is for Brock Lesnar and Kofi Kingston to go full bore at it for the WWE Championship with SmackDown moving to Fox. Personally, I would like to see Matt Riddle come up to the main roster and go on his diatribes about Brock Lesnar on a microphone, because I personally would love to see Matt Riddle and Brock Lesnar as Brock's next program, but I don't think they're ready to do that yet. Did you hear about Riddle on the uh, watch along with the Goldberg match? Yeah, uh, that that's been going on for a while, man. I, Matt Riddle just loves talking shit about some of these guys. Uh, the only problem is a lot of those guys seem to work for Hunter at NXT now, like Shawn Michaels 
And the the report that I have heard from backstage at NXT was TakeOver Toronto was intended to be Matt Riddle's TakeOver. It was supposed to be Matt Riddle versus Adam Cole for the NXT Championship. And they pivoted out of that and put Gargano into that spot because there's some heat on Matt down at NXT. It's funny you should say that. Earlier on in the show, I mentioned the exact same thing. And it's it's never going to change because Matt Riddle is Matt Riddle. There is no character with Matt Riddle. What you see no. is what you get. He doesn't care about kissing ass. He doesn't care about politics. I've spent quite a bit of time with the guy when he was over here in the UK. I've spoken to him on a professional level, doing an interview with him. I've spoken to him privately and personally. And Matt Riddle is just literally what you get on television. There is no character. It's not even him turned up to 11. He's just him. And that's the appeal of Matt Riddle. Just like that's the appeal of Brock Lesnar. Like you think Brock Lesnar is who Brock Lesnar portrays himself to be on television. And you are widely accurate in saying that Brock Lesnar does not like people. Brock Lesnar does not want to meet you. Brock Lesnar does not want to take a picture with you. Brock Lesnar is the baddest motherfucker on the face of the planet. And if you don't think so, just ask him. He'll be more than happy to tell you one of the biggest misconceptions of Brock Lesnar is that he needs Paul Heyman to talk for him. That's not the case. Brock Lesnar is a great promo. It's just they're terrified of giving Brock Lesnar a live microphone and what he might say. Something like, I don't give a shit about your kids. You know, (laughs) like that is Brock Lesnar. And that's the appeal of Matt Riddle, too. Like Matt Riddle and Brock Lesnar are basically the same person, just with different personalities. And that's why Matt Riddle is going to be the heir apparent to Brock Lesnar. I'd pretty much agree with that. Um, if you had to give this pay-per-view, sorry, special, bunny ears, uh, if you had to give this special a, a grade, uh, how many face slaps? I gave it three. I gave it a three face slaps. And, you know, and like, again, I'm grading it on a curve because greatly I was underwhelmed by SummerSlam, which I should not be for one of the big four events inside of the WWE calendar. The only thing that really saves it is this main event because I really like this main event. I'm going to go three and a half. I agree with what you said. Uh, it was a, a bit weak in parts and uh, I'm just going to give it that extra half mark. Uh, for Goldberg doing a couple of extra spears. This just in. Dolph Ziggler has been speared again. <laughs> uh, listen, thank you very much, Jago, for stepping into the breach, uh, for filling the shoes. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug before we go? Uh, the only thing I want to plug is this show right here, Tables, Athers, and Chairs. Joe, thank you so much for doing this show right here on the HTM Podcast Network. Uh, I, I think it's been a great success. I enjoy it very, very much every week. It's a it's a pleasure to be on here, even if I do widely hate your country. That's fair. I think everybody that lives here pretty much hates it too, so that's cool. Yeah, we, we have that in common. I, 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 I Shout out to Zack Sabre Jr., for, for the petulant child gimmick throughout the G1 and blaming it all on Boris, because I think that might be my favorite angle of the year. Oh, we all hate Boris Johnson. So, uh, yeah, we're right. Really. We're right there with Zach on that one. To be fair, British Gary Busey. 
<laughs> That's about it for this week. On tables, others in chairs. Uh, be sure to subscribe to HTM Podcast Network on uh, all your podcast devices. Uh, Hittingthemarks.com. Uh, subscribe to Tables, Others and Chairs YouTube, uh, Tables, Others and Chairs message board on Facebook. And if you want to grab hold of me on Twitter, it's at Others Chairs. Uh, we're going to go now. I'm going to sing you out because I lost that damn Pickens challenge to Jack Sexsmith to Terry Folds from Rick and Morty. Have an awesome week and I'll catch you next time. Ta-ra. Jack Sexsmith, I hate you. Grab my Terry Fold flaps. Grab my flappy folds. Grab my Terry folds. Grab my foldy flaps. Hey, touch my foldy flaps. Grab my Terry folds. Grab my foldy hooks. Grab my Terry flaps. In my Terry folds. Grab my Terry flaps. You gotta touch them. My Terry folds, grab my Terry, Terry folds, touch my holy flaps. Take the big flap, take my foldy flaps. My Terry folds, my foldy folds, and my Terry flaps. Grab my Terry flaps, grab my Terry flaps. Squeeze my holy folds, hold my coldy folds. Grab my foldy toads. Grab my terry flap holds. Grab my terry folds. Hold my foldy folds. Hold my terry folds. Hey, did you ever want to hold it? I hate you, Sex Smith. I got one right here. Grab my terry flap. Squeeze it. Grab it, squeeze it, tug on my terry flap. <laughs> <laughs>